0: on today's show
1: what he did when we went down there is he called us together and said we do 400 million dollars at invoice today P&G to Walmart <clears throat> i have a really cool shirt one for everybody in this entire room Who was on the team there were 11 of us originally and had already grown to probably 25 or 30 by this time and he said no one gets a shirt and you can't wear the shirts the sweatshirts until we get to one billion dollars in annual sales (laughs) we were 400 million we had we had to uh grow two and a half times to get there it was it was a it was an interesting uh motivational piece and we all wanted that shirt very very badly
0: everyone on today's episode we're going to meet Harry Campbell and Harry is the author of a series of books that recently came out um, on get real leadership and get real culture but what was so fascinating about talking to Harry is understanding The fact that he doesn't see himself as a writer, he doesn't see himself as someone who's particularly uh, designated to be an author, but he was inspired by his wife's battle with brain cancer and wanted to find a way to give back. And, And he wrote... Uh, his books in, in, a, in a lot of ways, in a, in a way without writing. He had a, a co-collaborator where he would speak, they would record it, they would transcribe it, and and they would turn that into his book. So he jokingly says, you know, I really didn't write my books. I had a lot of help and recorded it, which I think is, a, is inspirational for all of us to know that you don't necessarily have to be someone who wants to plug away at a, at a computer and do it. Um, but I think what was also just as powerful is recognizing that writing a book with a clear purpose behind it can open some incredible doors. And, and just the fact that Harry has been able to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars from speaking and writing and 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 you know publishing his books has has shown you that what the power of this sort of so the cause can be. And, and I think that his messages of sort of being really thoughtful, being very, very much about telling your stories and sort of being authentic ha- is a powerful one. So uh, you'll enjoy the talk with Harry. I-, I did because I think it shared this concept of you know, you know, you write these things for for your own purpose and your own mission. And I think with Harry, you'll see just that. He's someone who has the reputation as a fixer going in and jumping into companies and, and fixing the things that were wrong. He talks a lot about his adventures in startup land and and also his adventures in sort of the big company land, but he has had a terrific background. And I I think you'll really enjoy our conversation with Harry Campbell. All right, welcome everyone today. I'm super stoked to be talking to uh, Harry Campbell, who uh, who we were connected through a, a mutual friend, Diana Kander. And um, Harry has had a, a pretty incredible adventure, and I'm excited to sort of dive into it and uh, and and chat a little bit about uh, his his recent books that he's written and and how it sort of changed his his uh, adventure, and particularly done some some fascinating things for some of the the charity works that he's been a part of. So Harry. Welcome. Great to meet. Um, I am looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, so Harry, I want to you know just to sort of set the stage a little bit for everyone um, about your adventure. In some ways, it's uh, you are uh, basically kind of the 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 traditional path success path early in your career. You basically have every name brand a guy could want early in his career. Uh, checking checking all those. Fancy schmancy companies along the way and and I read somewhere that someone described your uh, trajectory um, kind of in those the 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 last few few years of your career as you're a fixer. so what does it mean to have the the label as Harry Campbell comma fixer? <laughs> um,
1: it means that I have a love of uh, waiting in when things aren't good, <laughs> taking care of business, making things right, and then getting a trajectory that is, uh, I would say, dramatically different than before. And uh, what's crazy about it is I didn't really like the idea of being called that, but I get bored easily. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways to keep me from being bored was to uh, put me into things that needed fixing because they require require all sorts of um, energy and focus for quite a long time until they get fixed. But it's also... Uh, true that after I get things fixed um, I get bored again so I'm airlifted out Mm -hmm. slid over and airlifted in somewhere else and um, uh, I used to kind of uh, be puzzled a little bit about what people thought about or whether it mattered that I was considered the fiction then I decided you know what what the hell
0: embrace it it's what I do it's what I love to do and it's what I've done that's right I I think it's you know it's 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 a there's this sort of fascination out there a lot of times with people, and and I see it a lot where people always want to be sort of the entrepreneur and there's this kind of glorification of the cult of the founder. And I think, I think that what's interesting is there's actually like a, a large number of people that apply their entrepreneurial skills, mindset of, you know, methodology is exactly what you're describing. Um, but do it. And oftentimes the process of fixing things, expanding things, growing things. And, and I think the, uh, the, the process of being entrepreneurial has a lot of methodologies, and I think you're probably the classic entrepreneur if you were to use the definitions of, of, of a fixer.
1: Um, you know, Eric, that's incredible perspective. Um, I tell people uh, frequently that I'm not an entrepreneur. My risk profile is not right. I, I grew <laughs> up with uh, teachers for parents, um, didn't have a lot of money, uh, much, much more security oriented, but I'm an extrovert. I've uh, got undiagnosed ADHD, and um, I'm, I'm just kinetically wound. And so what happens is I love being around inve- uh, entrepreneurs. I love mentoring them. I love investing in them. I like them on my team, even though I'm not. And so what I've found is the success that I have is is um, harnessing their energy and putting it in the right direction because it's not me, but I love being around
0: them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, it's, it's a, it's a magical thing when you, when you find someone who has that. But I, I think to your point, sometimes without the right sort of environment, people coaching and that sort of stuff that, that, that superpower of being, uh, having the right risk profile and the right approach to it can sometimes be muted without folks like, uh, like, uh. Like the Harry Campbells of the world around them to make them great, so it's awesome. Very fair, yeah. So I want to, I want to, so you know, obviously, I, I did a little bit of my homework on this one, and and I, I want to chat a little bit about uh, a story that you talk about in and in, in your books. Uh, actually, you talk about it in both of them a little bit. Is I want to talk about the billion dollar team sweatshirts, <laughs> and uh, I I was so fascinated by that story, and particularly um, what led a a, a young handsome Hoosier graduate decide to, to move himself to Arkansas. So why don't you tell the story a little bit about your, uh, the story around the billion dollar team and uh, and your experiences with the Procter & Gamble.
1: Um, I'd love to. So out of uh, undergrad, I went directly to business school and got my MBA. I, I was a liberal arts major at Vanderbilt and then
0: got my MBA in marketing from Indiana. Yeah, you're like a classic case study of someone, East Asian studies, uh, sort of the lack <laughs> of practicality in that one uh just goes, makes me go crazy thinking about you now right like what were you thinking i, I
1: was uh, trying to keep that on the down low so you <laughs> it it, my undergraduate major was east asian history and uh, economics double major i really have no idea what i was doing maybe i was going to go to law school maybe i was going to be mm. uh, a teacher maybe 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 i didn't have a plan that would be yep. it yes it's good it's good um so so i had my mba in marketing and um I chose to go to Procter & Gamble. They wanted me and I wanted them because I needed to learn. I really didn't know anything about business. It was um, I, I grew up in a very small farming town uh, as a professor's kid, so there was a liberal arts college and a bunch of farmers in our town. I didn't really know much about business, so Procter & Gamble was a great choice. I'd been there eh, three and a half years or so. And um, after turning down the opportunity to be promoted and moved uh, to an international assignment in Osaka, Japan, um, I was approached with the idea of uh, being one of the founding members of a very entrepreneurial venture within p g where we would uh, have one person or more from each of the functions of the company move to Northwest Arkansas and form a customer team liaison with uh, like um, uh, people from uh, Walmart and try to make the business between Procter and Gamble and Walmart better it was a vision that um, Sam Walton had had because PNG was the biggest vendor to Walmart and Sam's when I say Walmart I mean Walmart all their stores combined mm-hmm. counting their club stores yeah um, and PNG's biggest customer was in fact Walmart but the companies didn't get along at all. Nobody from PNG lived um, anywhere near Northwest Arkansas. Um, what would happen was I think PNG probably had seven divisions. Seven salespeople would fly into Bentonville maybe once a month, sell their wares one division at a time separately and fly out. and we were asked to move down there, interact, understand, develop ways to do the business. And one of the interesting uh, points that Sam Walton made about the customer team was that um, nothing we were going to do was going to be proprietary with Walmart and vice versa. Hmm. Um, Our competitors were going to be able to do it because it was running the business better and um, everybody needs to benefit. However, being able to develop it and get ahead of it would give us an advantage um, by itself. So that was Sam's vision. When you were talking about the uh, f- the uh, billion-dollar team T-shirts, it was fascinating. The, the leader we had down there, Tom Muccio for Procter & Gamble, was an extraordinary leader and um, motivator. And he was where I learned a lot of um, uh, my, I would say, leadership tendencies and practices. What he did when we went down there is he called us together and said, we do $400 million at invoice today, P&G to Walmart. <clears throat> I have a really cool shirt, one for everybody in this entire room who was on the team. There were 11 of us originally and had already grown to probably 25 or 30 by this time. And he said, "No one gets a shirt, and you can't wear the shirts, the sweatshirts, until we get to one billion dollars in annual sales." <laughs> so we were four hundred million. We had to we had to uh, grow two and a half times to get there. And it was it was a wow. it was an interesting uh, motivational piece, and we all wanted yeah. that shirt very yeah. very badly. Do you still have the shirt? um i do not in one of my Uh moves i lost it which really bums me out Ah. pictures of me wearing the shirt and um my memories from uh, 1989 90 and 91 down in northwest arkansas are unbelievably vivid but i don't have the shirt dang
0: this this might mean this might this might mean to be we need to create uh, these shirts here
1: (laughs) i might redo them yes exactly and and by the way the uh Fascinating thing is we worked extraordinarily well with Walmart, uh, ran the business, grew, 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 grew share um for PNG products in the categories there. And um the goal was to be a billion dollars in three years. We actually made it a year early, and the story is actually pretty phenomenal. On the last day of the fiscal year, When we needed to get to a billion, otherwise, no matter what, it was going to go to another year. Um, An order that I put in for a relatively small set of products, including like Oil of Olay and some other beauty care and health care products in Scope and Crest, put us over. The billion dollars, I think it was about 320 in the afternoon on the last day of the year to beat our goal by an entire year. And the team got their amazing. shirts. And let me tell you, you've never seen a happier bunch of folks.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's a, and I'm sure, you know, it's a funny thing, right? Like it's just a shirt in a lot of ways. People may be like, oh, what's the big deal about the shirt? But it's sort of the vision behind the shirt that makes that shirt almost have magical powers to it that I'm sure all of you thought. Uh, this was worth it. Uh,
1: yes, it was. It, it, there was an incredible pride factor. There was a sense of accomplishment. There was a sense of teamwork. Um, there was a recognition of the leadership from Sam Walton
0: and also Tom Muccio. It was all these things bundled together. That's amazing. And so, you know, you sort of have a, in a lot of ways, I would say, kind of a, I'd say a traditional career path after that in a lot of ways, right? You, you joined Sprint and, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you're like an aspirational guy who's kind of you know, fixing stuff, keep being jumped along the way. Tell me a little bit about your experience kind of in in growing from, you know, the early days it 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 sprint all the way until you became president of of uh of uh the emerging market division.
1: Um happy to. So um After close to seven years at Procter & Gamble, including three in Northwest Arkansas, I was ready to spread my wings. I did choose to join Sprint in 1992, so I'm seven years into my career. I was hired as a a director in the marketing group. Um, I I kept getting... Uh, additional responsibility, and um, I have a very simple secret. Treat people really well and make good decisions about the business, and Mm -hmm. um, the career takes care of itself. I had a couple of extraordinary mentors at a couple of breaks. I was blessed in a couple of areas, and all of a sudden I found myself um, a vice president in 1997, only a few years after I'd gotten to Sprint, um, quite young at that point. Wow. Uh, 26 years old or something like that. Um, 1997. Uh, um, okay. So, how does that play out? All of a sudden, um, I got an itch. A friend of mine who owned a small company decided to uh, bring me on as a co owner, and I quit my vice president job. <laughs> <Brand>. <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking? This, 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 this
0: the risk the risk adverse guy here. I
1: know, and and I you know the fact is it was already a uh, up and growing uh, up and going business. It was a sports marketing firm that sold ours. We worked with companies who wanted to use sports to build their business. So I didn't have to grow it. Excuse me, I didn't have to start it. I needed to come in, fix some of the culture issues, fix the business a little bit, and make it uh, supercharge growth. And that's exactly what we were able to do there's a pretty prestigious award in Kansas city called the Mr. K award for Ewing Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And it's given to the small business of the year. And we actually won that. Um, the company was called MAI. We won that in 1998. And, um, I absolutely loved it. It was phenomenal. I love sports. Um, I was able to, to drive growth. I didn't have to start the company and it worked extraordinarily well. And then all of a sudden, um, I got an itch again. <laughs> 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 Maybe it's because I got bored because things were yeah. going too well. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Um, and what I did was in um, 1999. I uh, realized the NASDAQ's going crazy up. Yep. The, the world of internet startups is nuts. If you really want to understand the business environment, I always tell people, go look at uh, um, historical Super Bowl advertising. <laughs> they cost an incredible amount of money. They're 30-second ads. And there was a two-year period in 99 and 00 where most of the Super Bowl ads were dot coms that didn't have much of a business model and didn't right. have much revenue. They had a lot of funding.
0: Pets.com. dot <laughs> com. That's, that, that's the dot
1: com yep. craze, uh, run up and then bust. Well, during the run up, I decided I was going to make a trillion dollars by joining one of those companies. It's perfect. Did Bye. some interviewing, did some interviewing on the West Coast, some um, house hunting trips, got verbal offers, never written offer. Thank goodness, and then finally ended up getting into the world of internet, but in Kansas City, as uh, first the. Uh, vice president of marketing and then very quickly after that the president and ceo of an internet startup um so once again this is the non-risk taker yeah uh, diving into this and yeah. i'm trying to figure <laughs> out what i'm doing when i look up and go wow um you, i you're, didn't start you're a
0: hypocrite you're just a big hypocrite here the um, non-risk yeah. taker is now the ceo of a, of a, of a startup company in 2000 um the internet yeah. go, come on now
1: and, and, and unfortunately, the business was really founded on um, eyeballs and advertising revenue, and in, that was way too early for that type of business model. It was mm-hmm. not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, did not. Make our metrics. We raised money. We had a good amount of money, but uh, didn't have the business model that would work. So it was. Uh, we were a digital spinoff from a larger company, and that uh, larger company folded the company back in, and I was no longer needed. So, <laughs> at uh, basically, I think it was the age of thirty nine, I found myself. Um, unemployed and in kansas city having done a really cool traditional job at png and sprint and then um been the owner of a small business that was wildly successful and then in a crazy moment (laughs) sold sold my half of that now i was an internet startup and it didn't work um i didn't want to leave the city so i decided to go back to sprint Mm -hmm. so the genesis of your question is that my career at sprint was amazingly different i did five years And then I was gone for those uh, almost four years when I was in small business and internet startup. And then I came back to Sprint. The difference... Uh, in, that um, I had with regard to how I approached the business and people and culture was very, very different. Mm-hmm. I had been whacked around. There's nothing like being humbled, but I've oh, also yeah. learned I'd been hands on in small business. Um, I I'd, I'd learned the kind of people that I like to uh, hitch my wagon to that I like to mentor. And all these lessons that I learned between the age of about 35 to 39, when I took basically a hiatus from the corporate world, and joined this small business, 20 people, and then an internet startup. I I will tell you, if I was going to get a doctorate and and have a PhD, um, that was it. That was it with regard to business progress. It was it with regard to... Understanding how I can lead given my personality, understanding how um, people tick, understanding the importance of culture. All that was learned in this crazy 35 to 39 year old period Mm -hmm. where I just took a sabbatical from uh, the corporate world. When I went back to Sprint, I was different. Um, I had pretty big jobs, but then I got lucky. Every once you really got to get lucky sometime. My boss, who was the president of one of the big divisions, was needed elsewhere in the company. They moved him. And they gave me the interim title of president of the consumer business at Sprint. Um, I was probably five years earlier than uh, they wanted. Uh, the senior execs at Sprint were looking for a person to fill the job. But I'm sneaky in a way. I just take care of business. <laughs> they didn't find anybody for six months, looked up and said, the culture is going great. The business results are there. We found our guy. He's internal. And so I got to do a high five and was promoted to president Um I guess I was about 40, 41, right in that time, uh, in, in that uh, age range. And I might have been a little bit over my head, but the great part about it when you've already been slapped around and humbled and worked in the world of uh, internet startups, um, you don't worry about stuff like that. What you do is you try to surround yourself with great
0: people and have them make you look really good. Yep. I So I read a, I read an, an interview that you gave, and you, uh, you describe – sort of one of the keys to, to success in life that you talk about in your book is embracing the crookedness. <laughs> and so, I think, uh, you know, it, whatever you want to call it, I think that that certainly is that the... It sort of looked different. It, looking at it and from the outside, you may think, like, this doesn't make any sense. This guy goes to be a small business owner, to be an internet startup bust in some ways, and then back to uh, the corporate and, and advance his way early. Uh, talk about this concept that what you've learned about this concept of crookedness and how it sort of plays into success. Um, You know what? I I, I love that statement. First of
1: all, it makes it it startles people when I put it on a screen to start talking about it, because the first thing they think of is crookedness with regard to integrity. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah, it Uh, It has to do with here's the plan. Now, you need to understand the plan's not going to happen. Um, something's going to go wrong. You might get a flat tire in the way to work or your boss may go sideways or your competitors may do something, but the plan's going to change. And so what you have to do is you have to not just say, uh-oh, you have to embrace that and say, okay, that happened. Let's not worry about that. Let's figure out what we're doing next. And I think that's when I started to become the fixer because I never worried about the, the past. I said, where are we now? Where do we want to go? Let's get it done. And the crookedness um, became something I took pride in because I was continually put in
0: things that were broken, messed up, needed fixing, and were crooked. It's amazing. I think that it reminds me of the 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 Mike Tyson quote. Everyone has a plan until <laughs> they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. I love that I, quote. I mean, <laughs> I think it's sort of yes. fishing with crookedness is that it's, it's fine to have that <laughs> plan, but you know, God, God love you. If you think that's actually going to happen. So it's yes. pretty amazing. The,
1: the plan was for you to, sh- to hit me with a right hand and you hit me with,
0: <laughs> that's not fair. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and then those three uppercuts in the middle there. Now that's even less than fair while I was thinking about it. So it's, it's amazing. Embrace the crookedness. I'm, I'm glad you found that one. Cause that's one of my yeah. favorites. I love it. I love it. So I want. I want to uh, kind of fast forward a little bit. You had some. Some. You've. You continued on that path, and then. Uh, and then I want to talk about uh, your your stint as an author. Because part of what you know, part of this is all about. We we call uh, this kind of class of folks that are creating these things creators, and so I actually, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that that writing a book is uh, as is an act in being an entrepreneur. So I think whether you call yourself an entrepreneur or not, as an author, you are yourself an entrepreneur. But I want to I want to hear about the decision. You know, in a lot of ways, you had sort of I would I would in a lot of ways describe as a traditional path. And then you go out and say like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book. And, and as someone who I saw in one of your talks described yourself as someone who did not enjoy writing a lot, this is sort of a, a crazy little leap to write a book. Tell me um, why you decided to write a book. Um, sure.
1: The genesis of this was that my wife was diagnosed with an inoperable malignant brain tumor in uh, early 2004 Uh, shocked and stunned us. Uh, The good news is that it was an astrocytoma, which is a slow growth, uh, but um, nonetheless, it rocked us. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Over the ensuing years, I I was supporting her and doing what I can, and uh, she was getting treatments. But what I realized was I was um, uh, very poor at really being able to verbalize the support that I would I wanted to give her. I always loved speaking. When I the biggest group I had at Sprint, I believe was about four thousand people, and I had to figure out how to communicate and inspire and engage with them. So I really took that seriously. I loved doing external speeches, and I realized, huh, um, maybe I can start doing some speeches, and hmm. um, maybe I can even raise some money as an indication of my support and love for my wife. So I started doing some speeches and I had a PowerPoint. So in some ways, Eric, um, I had this backwards. I had a PowerPoint (laughs) and I had speeches and I felt like to legitimize myself as a speaker, capture, um, my thoughts. Um, I needed to get it written down. Yeah. Yeah. Sit, I think a lot of people write a book and then turn it into a PowerPoint. I did it the other way around. And um, I also realized I didn't have the patience to write the book. So I hired a ghostwriter, hmm. Maureen Rank, and um, she was just an absolute all-star. And she happened to have worked in my organization in HR. So she knew me and my brand is kind of uh, a little bit off kilter and different. So having somebody that knew me helped. Yep. Maureen came in and taped me. Um, she would ask me questions and I would wave my arms and uh, spit and cuss and tell stories. She would she would tr- uh, tape it, go away, transcribe it, come back, do another session, come back to another station. I'm a visual thinker. Then she would turn her thoughts on the organization and ideas of the book into sticky notes. Hmm. And in the conference room, we would put them up By chapters and ideas and we would argue and yell at each other about moving things around. So she was the writer of the book, but she was taking my story so directly. It was just amazing to me. When I finally got to read a draft, I said, you've captured my brand. (laughs) My brand is not easy to capture. So I, I did this to legitimize my speaking business. And now all of a sudden, uh, by the way, I, I did a space and a half or double space to get the things to 100 pages. I mean, my books are not <laughs> fancy. They are not. If it takes you over an hour and 20 minutes to read it, you need to go back to school. Um, but they capture the essence of my, um, my thoughts. They, they, they really outline some of my stories because at, at, at the end of the day, I'm a storyteller. That's what I am. Mm-hmm. Yep. and so that legitimized me this was in 2012 I, I finally got around to writing the book and I realized I'm going to give speeches on this it was that uh, the book was called get real leadership because I love talking about leadership anyway and so I started getting speeches booked and I A lot of the reason was because I was more legitimate, quote unquote, as a result of having a book that I was published. I I I didn't think that was necessarily fair, but there's some logic to it. So I get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting too, right? You know, you've as we as as we shared, you had this sort of successful career. You're leading thousands of people, you're getting promoted earlier, you're doing having these adventures, and yet this piece of paper, uh, you know, what these hundred pages of paper suddenly means something because it's reflective of you and um, and I think that's it's really interesting and I, you know to your point a little bit about the uh, the writing from a PowerPoint presentation of speech it's interesting you say that that you did it differently but because I with my students I I, I have them actually uh, use a PowerPoint deck before they turn their stories ah. into a book structure yeah cool so it's actually I call it a teaching deck so if you can take the stories and the content that you've gathered and you know they're most of them are younger in their careers. They don't have the kind of exact world experience that you had at the time when you created yours. But they, uh, if they can take that stuff and teach someone else, they can, they can write a book. So I think, it's, I think you're, you maybe you're more of a, a trendsetter than you may realize, but I do think that's a way to, uh, that certainly is a way to write a book. Well, um, thank you. I, th- that's,
1: um, I, I love the way you're approaching that with him because I actually think the way I did it is a pretty logical way to do it, even, even though I d- like to describe it as backwards. Yeah. But what, what, so once I published this in, in two, early 2012, I started getting speeches and it became extraordinarily important and powerful to me personally because I love to do it and I'm good at it. But more importantly, it gave me a way to show my wife that, that I cared about her. Mm-hmm. I loved her and I wanted to support her. She was given amazing. Um, a pretty low percentage of chance to be alive after 10 years. It's now been 13. Um, amazing. I decided to give my gross speaking fees to uh, brain cancer research in, uh, in, in uh, honor of my wife and 100% of my book proceeds. Um, I've been blessed with my career, so I didn't need to keep the money. But the cool mm-hmm. part about it was it enabled me to do something I loved yeah. um, and, and support my wife at the same time. And it, it took off. Um, you know, I, I, I have a full-time job. I'm the CEO of Dury Vision, which is a, a refractive eye surgery center. They allow me to travel And do speeches. And I would do 23 to 25 a year, legitimate speeches for people like Cisco Systems and um, Garmin and people like that. And not being famous, that book mattered for people to have. And it makes you feel like a big cheese to sign a book. Sit at a table and sign a book and say, <laughs> hey, here you go. Um, yeah. And so I would I would earn somewhere between forty five and $65,000 a year on the gross fees and the book sales. And I would give that to charity and it made me feel good. It did something that I was good
0: at. I told stories and talked about leadership, which I loved, and I supported my wife. Yeah, that's really amazing. And, I, and it is, it's, it's a funny thing in some ways that you... Um, Something you already love, if you can make it have an additional level of good, it, it's it's uh, a it's a project worth doing. You know, it was it's a uh, it, it has had this double benefit. I it was funny as I was doing some research on you. People oftentimes in their uh, their interviews with you or their reviews of you will describe you first now as an author, <laughs> as opposed to a businessman <laughs> or a CEO. You're described as you know. <laughs> author harry campbell and i'm sure uh, that you know as you you see that you must think to yourself if these people only knew (laughs) i do i feel like yes yeah uh not quite but i like it
1: (laughs) 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 and 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 by the way i really truly had one keynote speech and so i got hired and i would give it and and i started to get bored with it right I, I experimented with my stories and and I did this. I tend to, to be paid somewhere between uh, two thousand and six thousand dollars. Same speech, different people, different budgets. Since I give the money to charity, I don't have to have a pricing strategy. And there's something magical about not having yeah. to worry about it. That's right. Um, I don't have to explain why I charge. Uh, excuse me. Why I asked you for four thousand and you for six? I say, pay me what's fair pay me mm-hmm. what it's worth to you and what you have in your budget. And I'll say yes. And it worked. Yeah. But I got bored yeah. with it. That's why I did the second book. I was like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be a two trick pony. And right. so I hired Maureen again. We got in the conference room again. And we did the same damn thing. We, we, it was truncated this time. It probably took about half as long because she didn't have to feel her way through um, how I thought, how I worked and um, understanding my brand, even though she knew it some, she needed to know it in depth. The second book was much easier from that standpoint and you know get real culture um actually i i am more interested in it the the topic matters to me it's the way i've been successful and so i loved 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 the outcome of
0: that process it's amazing and you know it's to to talk a little bit more about your process that you you describe this concept of finding a partner and interviewing it's it's really interesting so um we use that with some of the students that don't find themselves to be writers we pair them up with oh. a partner and we have them interview one another record it and transcribe it and use that to edit and so i think a lot of this is built on the premise of the history of writing you know so to speak some of the great works from plato um and and beyond where there was someone who was the storyteller and there was the scribe oh and so this this premise is not you know is, is historically accurate that it was only since about the the 19 early 1900s that we combined the writer had to be the idea person and the the scribe and i think what you're doing is some ways going back to the old school so we we uh you know for folks that aren't writers you don't have to be a quote-unquote writer to be a great storyteller and in some ways it just because if you're a good storyteller you should probably be able to write a better book if you have the help to do it
1: uh, you know what i love that thank you that's great perspective um because it fits to the to a t what i think about myself what my strengths are and and why i think the world of maureen rank and
0: uh, what she was able to do for me mm-hmm. yeah i love it i think you're i think you're as much as you probably had to invent a lot of these things as you were going out of pure necessity being the entrepreneurial entrepreneur, entrepreneur uh, as it is i think that there is a lot of uh, sort of logic behind how you approach the book, and and again, just so, so, you know, not knowing your process, we apply a lot of those same things for for the the authors that have uh, have been working with uh, with me here. You
1: know, Ma- um, Maureen, so cool. I think my first book was her nineteenth or twentieth that she had done. So even though she was in HR at a big company, she has a career uh, and it's full time now of ghostwriting. And the really cool thing was she knew the ins and outs of self publishing. Mm -hmm. And print on demand. And she really helped um, me drive to the decisions I need to and tell me what I needed to do to do the pieces of the book that I had to do and to get it done. So she not only was the scribe,
0: but she was the expert with regard to the self-publishing that mattered deeply to me. So I want to I want to go on that point a little bit. One of the questions people oftentimes will ask, and you know, you've had a very successful career and have been able to launch two successful books. Were there ever points of of insecurity that you felt about, hey, I don't have a traditional publisher with this book, or hey, I'm not actually writing it? How did you navigate through those ones? Is saying, does this, you know, did you have to sort of uh, think differently about what you were trying to accomplish with the book, or how did you navigate through those sort of those things that someone might might trip someone else up?
1: Um, very fair. Um, the, the one thing I didn't ever worry about was traditional publisher because mm-hmm. I never really thought that I had something that would have, uh, legitimately been interesting to those folks. And if you really believe that you don't worry about it. What I wanted to do yep. was try to yep. figure out how I could get something, um, in black and white that could, that could help touch and train people. On two subjects that are critically important to me, leadership and culture, and at the yep. same time, make some money. And so I, I didn't really worry about it. I was more, I was so happy when I figured out that createspace.com, that's what I use, which is kind of yep. a partner of Amazon, that yep. that I could do this. And they, they I am, um, I have no patience <laughs> and, I'm, and I don't use my hands, and I don't read directions. And I was able to get this thing published very easily. And that includes right. getting the uh, uh, the number on the book and the UPC and and the inside and the artwork and the downloads and uploads and and font checks. It it was extraordinarily easy, and I was like a kid in mm-hmm. a candy store because the end product was what I wanted. I will right. add to this, which has. Completely nothing to what I've just been talking about, but I wanted to be able to write on the spine, which meant the, the book was thick enough to be able to put the yeah. title in my name. Yep. So that's one of the reasons why I went space and a half or double spaced. And we put some pages in the back to to take notes in because I wanted it thick enough to be able to write on it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm afraid it would it would have been too thin, and you wouldn't have been able to, you you couldn't put it on a bookshelf and see the
0: the, the spine. So it's one of yep. those one of those famous ridiculous things that I had to do. No, I think it's you know it's it's I think what's what's interesting hearing your story is is you talk a lot about you were fascinated or fixated on the outcome, not necessarily sort of the process in the middle, right? It's sort of like ah yeah, whatever. I'm for me the book is about helping me you know raise money, raise awareness. Um, And ultimately be able to elevate your own sort of credibility to be able to book more speaking, which is all coming back to the good that you wanted to do. And so you look at this as a tool as opposed to something you're doing for your own ego. And that's, I think, the magic of what people can see, what your process is, and what I think a lot of people can see about creating these pieces of evidence of credibility. Like, uh, like like, the book. Uh, you know what? That's I, I love that
1: perspective. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to take that as a compliment because that is the way I approach it. I, I will tell you, though, every once in a while, today, uh, it, something creeps into my mind about uh, I'm a little more impressive than I am. I, mm-hmm. I went this morning to a breakfast and I signed a book for somebody and I gave it to them and they were fawning over it and I was all pumped up. And I'm like, yep, uh, I'm an author. Yes, <laughs>
0: here we go. Here we go. Yeah,
1: can I get you another one? And, and you know, um, Fortunately, those those moments are few and far between, and I catch myself. But th- there's a real part of that because I've sold, I think, six thousand of my Get Real Leadership, and mm-hmm. maybe fifteen hundred of Get Real Culture, which is newer. And I had I, I didn't know whether I was going to sell forty three, right, or a thousand,
0: or twenty thousand. No clue, none. Yeah, and you know the average book. I think the average book uh, I'm told um, sells a little less than two hundred copies. Wow. So you're, uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's crazy to think that we, and the average, you know, the average American reads less than a book a year. Ooh. So we're, Ooh. we, we create a lot of books. And, and so I think you're, but I think what's, what's important that, that I like to point out is that you didn't just sort of think of this as a book that you were just going to put out there and that was going to be your message. In some ways, the book complements much bigger part of a story, which I think is part of an entire set of speaking and writing and uh, interviewing and things like that that you're doing. How, how do you think about this holistically when you look at, you know, we're at the end of 2017, how do you look at 2018 for, I want to use this book and platform and things to to help generate more revenue for um, the charities that I want to support? Well, I, I love the way you talked about it as a compliment because that's exactly
1: the way I've always thought of it. In fact, um, let me let me get back to 18 here in a moment. But um, I, I find myself um, speaking, being paid to speak and, and giving that money to charity. And afterwards, I sit at a table and kind of one of my... Um, Hallmark moves is I have a bunch of tens and it's just cash scattered around and I have 40 books and people line up and they shake my hand and say great speech and thank you and they give me 10 bucks and I give them a book and I get to sign it and it makes me feel so good Mm -hmm. because they're giving me direct feedback on the stories and the lessons I gave I made money already speaking. I'm making money doing the books. And it's just funny to me. I always take a picture of my pile of money. <laughs> Thank God, this is, this is just absurd that I'm doing this. And I take that and I give that to charity. But the compliment aspect of it is I'm guessing that a lot of people don't read the book. They get it. Right. It's signed. Yep. It's fun. They heard me and that's good. It is a compliment. Yep. It is not the end result. It is mm-hmm. legitimacy for my speeches is what I think mm-hmm. of it as. That's a great way to think about it. Which it's it, great it, you had about asked it. about 18. Um, 18 now, I'm a year and a half in on my second book. I'm really hitting my stride. So I think I'm going to have another good year, particularly on Get Real Culture. I've given uh, maybe 125 speeches on Get Real Leadership and probably 25 or 30 on Get Real Culture. So I'm fired up about that. Um, I always have felt like how you treat people, the culture you create, and the ability to free people up to be successful is the way to win in business, and that's really what my story on culture is. So I love the content and the stories. I am more fired up about that one than I am for leadership, and that's why going into eighteen, having that complimentary book, which feeds what I love, which yeah. feeds my
0: speeches, makes me uh, happy. Yeah, and you know, you you have, you know, you've built a real kind of culture around uh, around yourself. It's funny, even looking at your looking at your book. There's you know, like a third of the book is, is people, uh, giving compliments to the book. And, and, <laughs> so I think you're, you know, you've, have got like 40 people here, the authors and executives who are, are, are praising the book. So I think you're, you're sort of doing something right in that, in that regard. Thank you.
1: Um, and, and by the way, uh, to date, I looked it up this morning, um, I've raised and donated uh, $313,000 to brain cancer research as a result of my books and speeches. So that's I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm feeling very, very, um, pleased
0: that I'm able to support my wife and a great cause. Yeah, it's really, it's, you know, and I think that's the amazing part of this uh, in the general is your inspiration was, you know, again, uh, Doing all the right things, but not feeling like it was tackling you, allowing you to use your skills and your background to really do something above and beyond. And so I love the motivation for this book of saying, it wasn't, you know, a lot of people will decide to write a book after they've had several, you know, career and, and life successes and saying, this is going to be a way to show everyone what I've accomplished. And you're like, nah, I just already have this stuff. I need to figure out how to monetize it in a way that gives gives back and so I think it's a really, really neat approach to it. And, and, and I think whether you're just starting out your career or you're, you're midway through, it's, a, it's an interesting way to frame how you can leverage the knowledge, stories, experiences, and, and the power of a book to do something awesome.
1: Um, you know what that is um very, very well said that is the approach I took and um i, I, I won't tell you there was a grand plan but <laughs> these these seeds of the idea
0: were there, and I embraced the crookedness along the way. There we go. I love it, I love it, I love it that's awesome so so I have a couple questions I want to sort of um kind of kind of wrap with here a little bit that is sort of the speed rounds, but I guess before I do that, I just um you know I would like to sh- have you you chat a little bit about. Um, what you've seen is different or sort of beneficial of having the book be so upfront about uh, benefiting a a charity or nonprofit you care about. What kind of things have you seen um, that it it fosters in terms of the way you connect with your audience by saying like this upfront, this is uh, listen, this is something that's created exclusively to, you know, to sort of benefit, um, you know, my wife, my family as something that we care about to show a cause we're supporting. Um, Never been asked
1: that question before. Um, here's my gut reaction. Um, it has people move a little forward in their seat mm-hmm. and pay a little bit more attention. Um, I'm getting a little emotional here, but I, I, I do it because it's so important to me. I can't imagine not. It's kind of an odd way of saying it, of course. And so when I say it, it helps me connect to the audience. I tend to um, get some silence. When I talk about how much money I've raised, I get, um, a round of applause and then I dive into the content. But what I think I've done is I've established something that, that, um, matters to me personally Is I, am really a high F guy in Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, th- the book, the stories and why I do what I do does that for me in the first, uh, 90 seconds.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a real tool of authenticity, and I think um, you know just re- even reading just the the simple forwards that you have talking about uh, Team Chris Campbell and you know the head for the cure, which I think are, are the the entire sort of efforts that are being supported. It is it's you get a little emotional reading it because I think you you connect to say this is for a higher purpose. Yeah, there's great stuff in here, but I want you to know why it matters so much. So I think it's 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 an interesting insight that I think it, it'll be. It'll be interesting for you as you continue to, to dive into this one to sort of understand how much this connects your audience in a way that really does get them to, to resonate with the the content even more so.
1: Thank you. Um, I, I will say that um, the capitalistic part of the business, when people are hiring me to speak, um, when they find out that I do it for charity and give 100% of my gross fees to charity, um, what I would say, and this is anecdotal, is that that's, Cool to them. They 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 feel very good about it, but it is not a driving force behind them hiring yeah. me.
0: <laughs> that's, and, and that's true. I
1: think it's one of the reasons why I like to lead with it because I'm not hired to do that, but I'm establishing that because that's so important to me and my family personally. They are hiring me because they have a message or they have a year-end meeting and they want to do some teamwork or they want to do some culture or leadership learning and personal development. The the charity thing is of interest, but it's like sixth on the list. And I'm okay yeah. with that. I get it. Yeah. I, I ran divisions. If I'm going to have a president's club trip in Maui and I need a motivational speaker, I'm I'm not hiring one because they're giving the money to charity. I'm hiring one who's
0: great at what mm. I need. And if they give to charity, that's cool. Yeah. I have an author, Tim, who's working on a book uh, profiling that new approach that's out there of people. He profiles companies like Warby Parker and Tom shoes that effectively are companies that do great products and, oh, by the way, also align to a cause and give a pair of glasses to a cause that you know a kid in Africa may not have. So that's it's an interesting insight that you can't just sort of rely on the fact that, oh, hey, this is for a good cause. You have to have a great content, a great book, a great story. Otherwise, the benefit isn't there either. So you had to basically do the work to create a great product for it to have the benefit you want, which is an, a, a real good insight. Yes. Awesome. Well, Harry, this has been so much fun. I really, really appreciate it. And I want to put in one last plug for... Um, Team Chris Campbell, and I think the organization is headforthecure.org forward slash Team Chris Campbell. And uh, you can find Harry all over the place. I think you have a ton of great videos on your site. If people want to sort of dive in more, I think we probably could have chatted for um, many, many hours, but uh, it's just harryscampbell.com. And I think there's a whole bunch of videos that sort of dive in. There was one of my favorites was you talking. I think the day of your book launch to a group of high school students, and you uh, you made reference to you'd sold 170 that books that day, and here you are. Look at you, six thousand uh, later. That that you know, you know, you, you thought you might sell 43, and, and you've uh, well surpassed that. Um, thank you.
1: I am uh, my. Uh, kids tell me I'm very Googleable, and I'm going to take that as a uh, compliment. The next thing you know, you'll be <laughs> Snapchatable. So that's the next. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to go straight to Instagram. I'm going to stay away from Snapchat. Maybe. There we go. I love it, Harry. <laughs> thank you so much for the time today, and uh, we will call it a wrap. And uh, and and this has been so much fun. And here's to a, an exciting 2018.